electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Bruised Apple, the tech giant stumbling to start the year down over 3.5%. Barclays downgrading the stock, saying it is time to take a breather. Is this simply a profit-taking move or the beginning of a meaningful MAG7 rotation? Plus, ripping high. Bitcoin starting 24 the way it ended, 23. Booming. But will the rally stall out once the ETF gets a thumbs up? And what happens to all the stocks that soared along with crypto? And later, we'll go inside the numbers of a pharma stock that is so bad, hmm. even Dan, even Dan, thinks it could be good right now. The big reveal and the reasons why coming up. I'm Melissa Lee, coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ. Happy New Year, everybody. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, Guy Dami, and Mike Coe. We start off with a sign that might confirm last year's mega cap tech rally is truly in the past. Shares of Apple sinking more than 3.5% for its worst performance since last September. The stock closing the day at its lowest point since mid-November. The move coming after Barclays cut its rating on the stock to an underweight, citing concerns over demand for the latest iPhone. UBS also pointed to specific weakness in the U.S. and China. But it wasn't just Apple under pressure today. Check out the moves in the other big cap, cap tech names, Netflix, NVIDIA, Meta, and more, all dragging the Nasdaq to its worst first day of the year since 2016. Wow. Meantime, investors seem to flock to one of the most beaten down sectors from last year, and that'd be healthcare. Both the biotech and pharma stocks saw outsized gains today. The group was the best performer in the S&P. So is Apple's drop just a sign of natural rotation in the markets, or does it send a more ominous signal? Guy. Okay, let's get the Happy New Year stuff happy out New of the Year, way. Everybody. I'm happy not done. New Year to I, I reserve there. the right to say Happy New Year all week, and I might. And maybe just next to, week, too. You know. Maybe next week, too. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, that's the last one you hear from me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting. You know, Dan made a comment earlier today. Apple, he thought, could have been lower today regardless of whether or not. And D.A. Davidson today, after the bell, I believe, initiated Apple with a neutral $166 price target. One thing we said, I think, pretty consistently is, I don't think anybody's ever said to short the stock on this desk. What we have said pretty consistently, though, is there will be better opportunities at certain points in the year to buy the stock and I think that's manifesting itself right now. Over the summer, we thought it could get down to 160. I think it got down to 165 in October. And quite frankly, given the backdrop and that we traded up to prior highs and seemingly have failed now, that 165 level, that Barclays price target doesn't seem unreasonable to me. I mean, I guess the question is, is this Apple specific? I mean, the note cited volume declines, yeah. bad mix, service revenues uh, down. It, it is Apple specific when you think about a stock that's trading at 29 times earnings that's expected to grow earnings at mid to high single digits and sales growth in the low to mid. You know what I mean? It is Apple specific. You also think about the gross margin that they have in the smartphone space in general. They basically have the whole industry's margin there. So I just think of this. And by the way, guy, I have probably said the short 
the stock here. Maybe you guys have not. Um, but, you know, the story in Apple is one of monopoly. It's say, one, by the way, Guy, happy new year. Yeah, happy new year. <laughs> no, but it's, it's management. It's balance sheet. It, you know, it's all the things that we know, you know what I mean, is working for them. And you could have said the same things that this analyst who downgraded the stock today on November 2nd when the company reported their fiscal Q4. And all those trends were evident. And you know what happened? The stock went from 172 to 195 to make a new all-time high. And what's changed here is just the sentiment, is the calendar. And who knows, you know, like, could this thing kind of fall back into its 200-day moving average or, or that support, that uptrend that's been in place, just from a technical standpoint, take one or two turns off its valuation from those highs, take some of the, the sentiment euphoria out of it? Yeah, sure. And that would probably be healthy. Well, for, for one day, um, it, it, it's, I think it's both. Um, in other words, I, I think the fact that the NASDAQ 100 underperformed the S&P significantly today and that the equal weighted S&P actually was flat on the day. So it outperformed by 150 basis points, a trend we were seeing towards the end of the year. We're talking about the biggest stock in the world. We're talking about a stock that was up 55, 60 percent last year. Um, so it is the market overall. But but no question, these downgrades were targeting important things about Apple, but things we could say about other companies as well. By the way, Guy, Happy New Year. Just wanted to go on. If my code does it, that's the yeah, end of it. Yeah, so, oh. But, but if, what we're talking about with Apple that I think you could reference other stocks in the market is the multiple, right? So, so the downgrade is, you know what, we're going to go 25 times a mid-650 uh, EPS for 24, and we end up you know, where we end up. And, and in fact, I, I do think they're going to struggle to grow EPS. So um, if you start to see mar- uh, multiple contraction across the group, uh, and I do mean the high multiple techs, and I think Apple's the most vulnerable. And part of what they've also singled out here is that they say, they say services are going to grow 10%. That's been the story, right? That's been the multiple driver. And if you think you're not going to go 20%, but you're going to grow 10 I do think it's a case where it's Apple-specific. Yeah, services in China. And they've lost share in China, which is what UBS specifically cites. Mike Co. Happy New Year, by the way. <laughs> Happy New Year. That one's for you, Guy. <laughs> Look, I mean, when it comes to valuation for for Apple, obviously everybody on the desk has already talked about this. It's at the upper end of its range. You know, it, this is a difficult thing. When you look at companies that are growing uh, at a very high rate and you talk about the multiple, they can always grow into that multiple. But in the case of Apple, it's not growing that quickly. So when you start saying it's trading towards the upper end of its valuation range, you actually can say maybe this is a time to take profits if you've been lucky enough to get them. And of course, anybody who is thinking that Going into November and December, if you were thinking it then, you definitely are thinking after that tax year ends. And now that it has, of course, you would expect to see some selling pressure. I don't think that same story applies necessarily to other companies that have, you know, let's call it higher valuation multiples like NVIDIA, which could indeed grow into it, or companies that were up a lot on the year but don't necessarily trade at a high multiple like Meta. But in the case of Apple, I think if you if you own it, if it's an outsized position for you, then you definitely want to pair it at the very least. We don't own it, and uh, I wouldn't be considering buying it at these levels. It would have to fall quite uh, significantly from here. I mean, for Barclays, it's mean reversion, right? That's what they said Mm -hmm. in their note several times. It's a company that has not delivered solid earnings in the past few quarters. So they're saying, you know what, this year we're going to go back. And so I think the question here is, you know, for companies that have not delivered have not knocked the cover off the ball for earnings. Maybe there is no more patience in this market where you want to take a look at valuations. And today, for instance, we saw the rotation to healthcare. We saw the rotation to utilities, sort of the safer areas of the market. All good signs, by the way, without question. But I think you bring up a good point. The market rewarded 
companies that even just came in in line to slightly worse last year for a myriad of reasons. And we've said this as well. Apple is the biggest beneficiary of passive investing without question. You can at me if you want, but it happens to be true. So in the absence of anything happening each day, Apple sees money flows into the stock. But it has gotten itself expensive. And I do think there's a bit of mean reversion going on here. And quickly, the reason why they get that premium multiple is services revenue, which I think now is almost 25 percent of overall revenue. But if that starts to top out here at 25 and starts to trend the other way, that multiple is definitely in jeopardy. Well, that, that's the point, and that's what you guys are both keying on. Just look at Microsoft, the other $3 trillion market cap company is expected to grow earnings and sales this current year, double digits, okay? And so it's trading at 32 times, but they're also getting that tailwind of the Gen AI stuff, and Apple doesn't have any of that. And so to me, I think if you were playing a little bit of a would you rather at some point, and I said Apparently this. we're doing that on the first oh, yeah. day of the year, Mel. Um, I, I, I mean, think, just observing. But I think at some point, Microsoft overtakes Apple this year in market cap and never looks back because they have the tailwind, their ability. This is a 68% gross margin company versus Apple that 50% of the revenue still comes from hardware. So whatever Microsoft is able to do, right, with uh, their open AI access and integrating it into their productivity tools, this is all the Gen AI stuff, it will be like accretive to margins. And this is why there doesn't have to be a mag seven. Guy, I think you're saying you, that's not what I'm about to do. I think you're saying it's actually good for markets if we're getting some discrimination between these stocks. And, and why this is also not just a market story and an Apple story, they're also citing market share loss. OK, so they're talking about they're actually losing ground uh, in the U.S. We, we know they're losing ground in China. India, which is supposed to be this bright spot, was eh, not so good. So um, that the fact that the iPhone, uh, the 15, essentially is down in terms of where its sell through is as a percentage of the overall uh, product line. It's, you know, mid-50s, high to mid-50s, where in the past it was kind of mid-60s or more. In other words, the refresh isn't that important. As the phones get better and there's less innovation, you don't really feel like if you have a 13, you have to go buy a 15. At least that's what these numbers are telling you. That's why for Apple, um, look, I I think the multiple can come in. And with macro, I mean, you might hold that phone longer, right? I mean, Dan, you just bought one, but you always buy the new thing. Yeah, but I didn't buy the high-end one. And I went from like a 12 to a 15. And, and, and so, again... To their point, and, the mix is not good. And, You're buying the highest And one. I'll tell you that qualitatively, I went into an Apple store in Dallas, Texas. It was the day before. There were more people in Apple red shirts than there were consumers in there the day before. I mean, it, it was like inundated with their own employees or whatever. So that was just my... It's like going to a Met check. game and there are more vendors than fans, Mel. Why do we have to do this on the first no, day No, because here? Dan just brought you know, it up. I, I think... I, I, we've got a guest who I bet is a Met fan, so <laughs> it's... You know, let's get there. We'll um, see. We'll see. I don't know. Uh, despite not. the negative start to 2024, an investor known for the big short questions whether we are still too bullish. Steve Eisman is senior portfolio manager at Newberger Berman. Steve, welcome to the show. Happy New Year to you. Thank you. I'm honored to be here on your first show. <laughs> um, so you think that market fundamentals are actually good, but overall sentiment is too bullish? How do you distinguish? Well, I mean, think of it this way. Let's say we were here a year ago. Uh, most of your guests would have come in and said the earnings for the S&P are going to be down. The market's going to be down. The economy is going to go into a recession in about 15 seconds. And none of that happened. Um, the recession that never was. And so the market climbed the wall of worry the whole year. So now here we are a year later and everybody is, including me, is has a pretty benign view of the economy. The only thing that bothers me is just that I don't think we're necessarily wrong on the economy. I think we're probably right. It's just everybody's coming to the year so bullish that if there are any disappointments, you know, what's going to hold the market up? But I think long term, I'm still very bullish. But near term, I just worry that everybody's coming to the year, you know, feeling too good. We're having a whole conversation about 
about Apple uh, and how the markets might need to discriminate you know, in, within big cap technology. How do you feel about the backdrop of the economy with the Magnificent Seven? Is it time for rotation? Is, it t- is this the backdrop to rotate into lower PE stocks? Or does that not matter to you? I, I don't focus on that yeah. that much. Um, I still think, you know, the Magnificent, you have to have at least a significant percentage of your assets in the Magnificent, magnificent Seven. There are the themes that we also really talk to our investors about like infrastructure. 1.2 trillion is still going to get spent in the United States over the next 10 years. First time we've had a industrial policy in the United States of America, probably since anybody in this room has been alive. So that's a big theme. So I look, I think there are a lot of good things going forward in the market. Just, you know, just start the year psychologically, everybody is just a little, a little too freaking happy. Well, so a place where you haven't been terribly happy, and we want to hear most investors. When you talk about banks, people want to listen. You've you've got a, a note in history. Yeah. Well, you you've made some great calls, some oh, very successful you. calls on on the banking sector. And, and I think probably three months ago, you said somewhere, you know, in the context of probably a much bigger conversation, but that banks were were not investable. And I think if we're going to get the market to rally further from here, we need the participation of banks. So just touch base on banks at the start of this year. So I mean, let's take let's. Pick on one bank. I mean, and I have no position in this bank, and I have nothing against the company. It's like Bank of America. So Bank of America is a very well-run bank. It's got a very good CEO. That doesn't mean they haven't made mistakes. They bought a hell of a lot of long-term bonds at the wrong point in the cycle. Uh, it's not a balance sheet problem. It's more of an earnings problem. So the earnings, if you look, are basically flattish for the last few years, up and down by just a little bit. Percentage. So what's, how are you going to make money in Bank of America? You're going to need really two things. You're going to need the Fed to cut rates, so that'll help people's perception of the balance sheet. Um, and you need no recession, so benign credit. Now, could that happen? Sure. But I'm actually of the view, you know, the market seems to think the Fed's going to cut rates at least three times this year. I, at this point, don't have that view. I think the Fed is still petrified of making the mistake that Volcker made in the early 80s where he stopped raising rates and inflation got out of control again. So I'm not that bullish on the Fed cutting rates. And if that's correct, I think it's going to be hard to make money in the major money center banks. Now, that's not, that's not a company-specific call. That's a real macro-y call. You know, it's hard to you know, make a long-term investment case for the banks when you have to deal with so many macro factors like that. Steve, as we sit here, U.S. debt 34, just went over 34 trillion today. Is there a scenario where there's a debt concern, debt problem in 2024, some sort of credit crisis that you're looking at? 100% no. 100% no. No. Um, You know, in our business, we like to say being too early is the equivalent of being wrong. And there have been plenty of times in my career where I've been too early. But I'm not 40 years too early. And, you know, the people who are making this argument about U.S. debt have been literally been making this argument for the last 30 to 40 years. And they're still making it. Mm-hmm. And they're telling you to buy Bitcoin because of it. And, you know, my attitude is when you're 40 years too early, have a little freaking humility and <laughs> keep your mouth shut. Mm-hmm. So... There's absolutely no evidence whatsoever that the dollar is going to lose its reserve currency status. Um, people still want to buy U.S. debt. They're not, they're not replacing it with Chinese debt. So, you know, until there's a real problem in the U.S. bond market, I think we're just fine. Hey, speaking of humility, Guy, as the kids would say, he's got a good fit. 
Like, well, I was gonna, what's going on can over we, before we even, yeah. The last time Steve was on, I commented on yeah. his stylist. Yeah. Yeah. But you've taken it up and like Well, you know, notches. you put so much pressure on yeah. me. I got another new jacket. Yeah. It looks yeah. great. A little pocket square. Like, yeah. and, I have, and I have a whole, you know, this is all part of my New Year's resolution. That's working. Which is uh, think Yiddish, dress British. Yeah. Oh, there you go. All right, there you go. All right, but Steve, so you manage portfolios. And again, we love to focus on the things that a lot of our viewers know you to, to be great at, right? Yeah. But when you think about it, you more portfolios across lots of different industries, right? And you think about what generative AI did to the stock market this year, right? Yes. And that's really what infected the Magnificent Seven and really buoyed the stock market in a year where you just mentioned earnings. They didn't grow much this year. They were up less than 1%, right? You're over right, but, but, but the expectation was they were going to be down 10 to 15. Correct. All right. But next year, the expectation is that they're going to be up 10 to 11%. Correct. So my question to you now is that the stock market has realized a lot of the enthusiasm about this technology. Again, being 40 years early, this is going to be something that dominates for decades. What do you expect it to do in 2024 for actual earnings, not just in the Magnificent Seven, but across other industries? I- you know, other than NVIDIA and maybe AMD and, you know, maybe some Microsoft, I don't think you're going to see that much of an impact on earnings in tech yet. It's going to be, it's still going to be very story driven. You know, what I'm most curious about is other than the very, very large tech companies, nobody really yet has a real AI story to tell. And the question is, is anybody going to emerge? And it's only day one of the year. So, I mean, the best part of it being day one of the year is I haven't made many, any mistakes yet. <laughs> um, so you had mentioned that you don't think the Fed's going to cut rates. but most I didn't say that. I said I, I, I think the expectation that the Fed will cut rates three times, at, I, I, from where I'm sitting, I think is wrong. Okay. Or is too aggressive so what at is, this point. What is right in your view? Because the market believes that there's going to be probably two, at least two and maybe three at this point. I think the best, if you had to lay your life on the line, I'd say one. One. Unless there's a recession. If there's no recession, I don't see any reason why the Fed needs to be aggressive at cutting rates. That before. seems like a, you know, a dichotomy versus what is within market consensus. And so that leads me to the question of what we've seen rallies in the end of the year as that consensus has taken hold. that right. The Fed will cut rates about three times. Things have rallied. And I'm thinking, you know, if solar, for instance, that depends on funding, other sectors that depend on funding. Have massive, had massive rallies. Yeah. I think that's that's probably not right, at least not at but, this point. But Steve, you must not think inflation is going to come in much then, because if the Fed is only going to cut once, right, like that. Well, I, I think it's, I think even if inflation does come in, if I'm the Fed and I'm, I'm looking at the Volcker lesson, I say to myself, what's my rush? Inflation has come in. If I don't, if I don't, if I'm not aggressive, I can always cut rates tomorrow if things get weak. But if the economy is still flying and inflation has come in, why don't I keep rates here? I mean, look, nobody calls me to consult. I'm just giving you a buy opinion. They, they call you to say, what should we wear today? Yes, they don't yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. But um, so if I'm, I'm in Powell's seat, I'm, I pat myself on the back and say, job well done. And the risk, my real risk is that I cut rates and inflation resurges. And then I have a real problem. If if I don't cut rates, or if I, I maybe only cut once, and I just sit there and wait, I can wait. I'll see how the data goes. That, that's what I would do if I were in their shoes. You know what they'll do? Who knows? You mentioned the rent, the run, for instance, in solar. Housing has had a huge run as well. That's also. So I would rate. say housing stocks are justified. I'd say residential solar stocks are not justified. You know, the housing stocks are justified in the sense that the home builders have great balance sheets. They're able to buy down rates to their customers so that the customers can afford to buy new homes. And there's a shortage of new homes. 
you know, residential solar at this point, I think is still gonna have a down year. Um, how down, I don't know, but it, I, I, I haven't seen a data point yet in residential solar that would make me be positive. I'd like to see one, but I haven't seen one yet. What about the, again, in a world where the market does have rotation and we talked about the vulnerability of either multiples and high multiple type, but the sectors that include healthcare, energy, staples. Um, and look, let's be clear, utilities and staples got hammered uh, a good part of last year. I mean, that, 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 that seems interesting. I'm, you know, utilities, I think, had just a horrendous year last year. And it wasn't, there, was, there really no fundamental issue. It was a pure rate Rates. play. So look, if you have a benign rate environment, I'd probably, probably rather own uh, utilities than most staples at this point. Steve, great to see you. Happy New Year. Thank you. Great outfit. <laughs> His wife's watching right now, by the way. She I did know. a tremendous, you should be proud of yourself. I mean, you started the new year off with a bang. Happy New Year, Mrs. Eisman. I'll say this, though. I think a lot of the rally, and Steve is still here, but I'll say it was predicated on the belief that there'll be 150 or so basis points of cuts next year, starting early in next year. I, I'm with Steve on this one. I don't think that's going to happen. So if the market starts to come to that realization, what happens to the broader S&P? Mike what do you think? I think that the principal reason that you would have aggressive rate cutting is because it was economically justified. And what would justify it economically is that we start seeing signs of a material slowdown. And if you get a material slowdown, that's not great for equities either. You know, right now we're not that far off of the all-time highs. You know, the economy seems to be doing okay. And as long as those two things persist, uh, then I, I'm kind of with Steve there. I don't really see a big justification for bringing the rates in. Of course, that does create a little bit of a problem for some of those that have said that maybe financials are investable here, that includes me, because, of course, then you don't really get the yield curve in the shape that you want. But, uh, you know, obviously, if you start getting aggressive rate cutting, there's going to be a reason for it. And that reason is going to be not good for equities. What comes down if rates only cut once this year? What comes down? What comes, yeah. Suckers. In other words, what is rallied hard on the notion of three rate cuts? High multiple tech. Um, I, th I mean, you look at the, the companies that have the longest duration and have trouble making money in a high rate environment. and An Unprofitable. Tech. Yeah, I mean, but I, again, I think we're all saying something. If, if, if we only cut one time this year, I think it's a great year for equities. Really? See, see I actually think differently. It means, it means the economy is doing well. It means well, that EPS is growing. I think or they're just stuck. In, in, in a, in a low growth, you know, high inflation, you know, inflation environment. And, and to me, you know, we've spent so much time talking about the long and variable lags of Fed policy, and we haven't felt it, not in the economy this year, if you think of some of these GDP prints, and we haven't seen it in the stock market. That was discounted last year, right? And, and so like, I just say to myself, it, it's a very confusing picture, and it's one of the reasons why I wanted to ask Steve why he doesn't think we're going to have three, which is what the dot plots are saying, three right. cuts, right? Because the other scenario, and, and the Fed chair said this, at his presser a couple weeks ago, they're not going to wait until inflation gets to their target. He said that explicitly. And I thought that gave a boost to the stock market because it said something more than what the dot plots were suggesting. So if we start getting weak inflationary readings, you should assume that the Fed's going to cut more. So and that should be good for stocks, I assume. Coming up, a red flag on China. President Xi Jinping warning of a stormy economic picture as the country's recovery loses steam. The global impact and the beaten down names that could be ready for a rebound. Plus, talk about a New Year's resolution. One top bank analyst forecasting City to double in the next three years. Why he is so bullish on the name and do our traders agree when Fast Money returns. This is Fast Money with Melissa Lee right here on CNBC. 
The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Chinese stocks kicking off 2024 in the red with the FXI China large cap ETF dropping more than 3% and the MCHI ETF down 2.5%. The drop coming amid renewed worries about growth overseas. President Xi Jinping making a rare acknowledgement of China's economic challenges in a New Year's Eve speech pointing to a tough time for business and rising unemployment. The remarks coming just hours after official data showed a contraction in China's manufacturing PMI for December. So how worried should investors be about these latest dispatches from Beijing? Tim. Well, I, I think you're probably encouraged if there's some kind of an accurate assessment of where the economy is, because you have to assume a couple things. One, there, there's got to be some stimulus coming. There's got to be something that at least the, the government recognizes they need to do something. The acknowledgement of structural problems with China's economy is also good. And if anything, it, it might, uh, you know, not outwardly, and there may not be an admission of this, but it, it means some of the geopolitics have to thaw a little bit um, in everybody's best interest. Now, um, back to this, the Chinese stock market. The nice thing about investing internationally is you don't have to invest in China. There's been a lot of great stories to invest around the world. Japan's been kicking it. You have a, a, a dynamic, I think, even in Korea, where you can own technology. We all know, you know, Taiwan, Taiwan Semi um, has been a great place to be. But I, I do think China is a place selectively that you, you can't ignore in 24. Um, and I think you have to have uh, some trading strategies around having stops. I don't believe in necessarily tight stops, uh, especially in emerging markets and highly volatile stocks because you can get blown out, but you also need them. So um, I'm not giving up on China. You have some private sector data, but let's face it, who here is positive on China? Nobody is. And the market trades that way. And that's good to be on the other side of. I didn't know that BABA had a third of its market cap in cash and the ability to potentially buy back shares. I, I read that today and yep. I, was, I was amazed. They could, last year they bought back three point, they reduced their shares outstanding by 3.3% using their cash. They could potentially raise their dividend. I mean, I don't know if that's enough to overcome the worries, the larger you know, macro worries, but the fundamentals here 
you know, interesting. Yeah, yet it still can't get out of its own way. And, it, yeah. you know, we have pointed this out a number of times. There have been now at least eight, nine, ten times over the last three years where Alibaba's rallied 35 to 50 percent off its lows. Yet for some reason we've been meandering around this 74 level for quite some time. I'm with Tim on this one in terms of sentiment without question, but I'll say this as well. The FXI can't get out of its own way as well. And that traded down to 21 and a half in October. If we can put up a long-term chart to go back 16 years, we traded down to 21 and a half back in 07, 08-ish as well. These are huge levels for the FXI. So if it gives it up here and starts to sort of test that 21 and a half level, something bad is going on, obviously, over in China. There's a lot more Fast Monday to come. Here's what's coming up next. New year, new city. One top bank analyst doubling up, literally, where he sees shares of city heading and what it could mean for the rest of the banking sector in 2024. Plus, crypto can't wait. Bitcoin passing a key level as investors look ahead to a potential ETF approval. We've got our Bitcoin baller, Brian Kelly, to help break down the price action. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. They're exiting 14 non-U.S. consumer markets. So they are becoming a much more simple and profitable firm. And I think that their earnings will double over the next three years. And as investors catch wind of that, I think the stock will catch a better bid. That was Wells Fargo's Mike Mayo explaining his latest bullish call on Citigroup. He expects shares to double over the next three years and says there is a 25 percent chance they could triple in that time frame. City stock had a turbulent 2023, but end of the year higher by 13 percent. Um, Micah, where do you stand on City? Do you agree? I mean, he was saying also that, you know, investors would say, stop talking about City. We don't want to hear anything about City. We're done with that story. You know, it's interesting if you take a look at the big financials, how there's really been basically two stories in terms of valuation. If you look at names like JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley, which is really more of an asset management company, these are companies that are not trading at historically cheap valuations, at least on a price to book basis. But then you take a look at names like Bank of America, City and Wells Fargo, and each for their own reasons is trading actually cheap relative to their own historical multiples. Now, in Bank of America case, and Steve Eisman actually made mention of this, they took a little bit of a wrong-sided duration bet uh, when rates were very low, and that obviously helps justify where that one is trading. But I obviously think that, you know, and Wells Fargo had its own sort of regulatory problems that prevented them from growing. But in Citi's case, uh, you know, the valuation story, I think, is, you know, probably enough of a backstop that if you're looking to get long one, uh, this is one that you could choose. We are in the name, actually. Yeah. J.P. Morgan, by the way, is just under a dollar away from a record high at this point. Well, and, and again, J.P. Morgan it has been best in class and for a reason. And, and it gets it gets a multiple and it gets back to the valuation. 
Mike Mayo is a fantastic analyst. He's a fantastic analyst because he's got opinions, whether he's right or wrong. And I mean that. In other words, if you're out there and you make good arguments and you actually make strong uh, statements and let investors figure it out, Mike's out there. And and I I kind of agree with at least a lot of it. I, I think the valuation is very strong. There's a turnaround going on there. There's a profitability plan. There's a story here. If we have normalizing credit environment, this is actually very good for Citibank. So I'm long the stock. It's had a 40 percent move off of that bottom. A lot of that's been since that November 13th CPI, which for all banks, look at regional banks, it's been a good run. So, you know, I'll take that call. City reported on October 13th. Tangible book is $88, give or take. So you can do the math. It's trading at 62% of tangible book. Just other banks traded a premium. I'm not suggesting it should get too tangible book, but yeah, it should be 85, 90% without question, especially if this turnaround is in play. But I'm glad you mentioned JP Morgan, if we could put up a long-term chart. We've put in, now made an all-time high today, I think it closed right there. But this goes back to, I think, December of 2021 level. So now it's incumbent upon the bulls to further prove themselves in a lot of these names. J.P. Morgan at the top of the list. Coming up, a Bitcoin breakthrough. The crypto surging past $45,000 as investors hang their hopes on an ETF approval. The decision could be just weeks away. So we've got our Bitcoin baller, Brian Kelly, to help us lay out what to expect. That's next. And the pharma stock that could be so bad, it may be good. Pfizer getting a boost, but still has a long way to go to recoup losses from 2023. Could the name be about to turn over a new leaf? We'll debate that. Don't go anywhere. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks. Kicking off the first day of the year, the Dow virtually flat, but managing to close in the green, the S&P losing more than half a percent, and the tech-heavy Nasdaq taking the biggest hit, down more than 1.6 percent, its third negative session in a row. But casino stocks beating the house today, the Las Vegas Sands, Wynn, Caesars, MGM, all with nice gains. And Bitcoin kicking off the new year with a robust rally, the cryptocurrency hitting the 45,000 mark earlier today, a level not seen since April 2022. About a month ago, our next guest correctly predicted that crypto was in the early innings of a bull market rally. Let's bring in Fast Money friend, Brian Kelly. Beakers, Happy New Year. Yeah, right back at you. Happy New Year to you all. <laughs> all right. So um, why shouldn't we believe that, that you know, the Bitcoin ETF approval isn't a sell the news event. It seems like there's so much riding on this approval. There's so much of the rally um, predicated on that, that when it happens, you know, what next? Yeah, right. I mean, listen, as, as a trader, my gut always tells me things go higher, I get a little bit scared, right? So I do think a lot of the speculative fever around the ETF is probably reaching a crescendo this week. So yeah, could we get a sell-off? Sure. But I think that would be a sell-off, you know, a dip to buy. Because remember, there are still a lot of people that have not been able to buy Bitcoin for their portfolio. So even a 1% to 2 to even 5% allocation at IRAs or from private wealth managers, they're going to be buying the ETF over the year. And since you have Tim on the desk, it'll serve as a four-on-the-floor drumbeat for the rest of the year. Nice. I appreciate that, BK. So let me come right back at you. And before you leave, please make sure you wish Guy a happy new year. Um, <laughs> I know you're also somewhat enthusiastic about what could happen with Ethereum and a lag effect here, but I I care more about your view about the the broadening of the entire crypto space. I mean, is a Polkadot or, you know, some of these other names, are they going higher? Are you investing there? Because that, to me, on some level, is a lot more important than what Bitcoin does from here. 
Yeah, I think that's a great point, Tim. You know, when we talk about stocks, we talk about the breadth of the market and the breadth widening it out to the mid and the small caps, and that's usually the sign of a healthy bull market. We're seeing that in crypto right now. So you rightly bring up names like Polkadot or Cosmos Atoms or even Solana or some of these kind of, and those aren't second tier, those are probably, you know, higher in the, the first tier. But you're starting to see the rally broaden out. And most importantly, you're actually seeing from some of these cryptocurrencies actual things being built on them. So we're seeing decentralized exchanges getting a lot of activity. Uh, we're seeing decentralized lending and places in the DeFi space starting to get a lot of loans going out there uh, and a lot of total value locks. So all these indicators are telling me that the bull market is broadening, the fundamentals are supportive, and you know, I think, again, I think we're probably in the beginning of this 12 to 18-month bull market which should spread to the rest of the currencies. And to answer your question directly, I am investing in all of those. Hey, Beeks, you just mentioned how retail can buy in their IRAs if there's a spot ETF or um, investment advisors, you know, are going to have access to this vehicle that is an easy way to express a view. What about institutions? You've been talking about this wall of institutional money for years and years. And when I think about, you know, um, futures were listed on the CME back in 2017. Could this be a big boon for some of these exchanges, too? Because if large institutional investors are going to take chunky positions, let's say, in the ETFs, they're going to look to hedge them with futures or speculate on them or or there's going to be options created on them. Talk to us a little bit about that sort of activity. Yeah, I think, I think that's a really interesting point because what we've seen in other traditional markets is the activity starts in the spot market, but then once the institutions arrive, it is quickly eclipsed by the derivatives markets, so the futures and the options markets. And most of these, you know, most commodity markets, the futures and options markets are multiples the size of the spot market. So I would expect a lot more um, activity going on there. I think the other interesting part of that is, is that you actually might tamp down a bit of a volatility in the cryptocurrency market and Bitcoin because you're going to have multiple players, some people hedging, some people doing basis trades, some people just doing option strategy. So I actually I actually think you might see less volatility once the institutions do arrive and start playing those games. Wow, imagine if there's no more crypto winter. BK, always great well, to see you. Don't jinx us. Don't jinx us. Thank you, <laughs> Melissa. Oh, he, by the way, guy, he said happy new year. I heard yeah. that. I heard that. Okay. Yeah. yeah um, Mike we mentioned some of these stocks that had run-ups along with it, like a Coinbase, et cetera. What, what else do you think would benefit here? Yeah, I mean, well, Coinbase was one of the ones that I actually was not that enthusiastic about and all this, even though I did see Bitcoin going higher. You know, one of the things that I found very interesting about the Coinbase situation is that, you know, they got their uh, revenues not even up to another three billion. You know, think about it at their peak. They they made nearly four billion dollars in net income. In other words, what was happening is that there was sort of a disconnect or a decoupling between the profitability of Coinbase as an exchange relative to the price of sort of the best known cryptos like Bitcoin. And I think that was highly problematic. Now, obviously, if you have other names that are levered to it simply because they hold it. So now you're going to think about MicroStrategy, for example, which kind of like an integrated oil company is just basically a holding of, of, uh, of Bitcoin uh, or one of the miners uh, like a Marathon Digital or something like that. They obviously have a very direct connection to the spot price. And, you know, kind of to, uh, to BK's point here, too, I think, you know, the ETF is definitely going to get list options listed on it very quickly because it's going to meet all of the requisite criteria in terms of the number of shareholders, the number of shares traded, things like that. And that is going to bring in, you know, a, just a whole new cast of investors and traders participating in the space. 
Right. Coming up, boosted. Pfizer may have been under the weather in 2023. One of our traders thinks that's a perfect setup for a buy. He'll explain. And Tesla and Rivian out with their fourth quarter delivery numbers. We'll have more on who the big winner was. That's next into. Welcome back to Fast Money. Big Pharma kicking off 2024 with some big gains buoyed by Oppenheimer's upgrade of Moderna. That stock's seeing its best day in over a year. Even Pfizer saw some strength. The drug maker was down more than 43 percent last year, its worst year on record, but saw a bump of more than 3 percent today. Dan was saying today that he was taking a look at this. And in the vein of, you know, even Mikey, he likes it kind yeah. of thing. Mm. We thought, hmm, wow. We need, by the way, there's there's some rumors about poor Mikey. I don't know if they're true. No, um, he didn't need popped with those I don't, pop things. Birch his reputation. Pop rocks. Pop rocks. You're right. We don't. We don't. Soda. We don't. We don't traffic in rumors on anyway, this show. No, no, a couple weeks ago, we were all stock. talking about on the desk, your Pfizer and My Karen's Pfizer. Pfizer. Oh, the stock got down to 26 bucks, and this was like December 13th or 14th. They kitchen synced the 20, uh, 24 results, and it was a huge volume day in a couple of days. And we said, it probably looks interesting here, like the upside, downside, risk-reward. And so when you think about what's happened here from a fundamental standpoint, um, from a sentiment standpoint, nobody likes it. No one has high expectations. The GLP-1 thing fell absolutely flat. There's no catalyst. People are worried about the dividend. But look at it from a technical standpoint. It had a bit of a washout. And I know we can pull up a chart here really quickly. And you say to yourself, this thing just got above the downtrend that's been in place for a year. It's been in place for multiple years, and it could be a quick shot to 35 bucks. You know what I mean? And at that point, you probably sell it because it probably is expensive, is devoid of catalysts, and you're right back into buying better stories with better pipelines. Well, I think mega, you know, mega pharma uh, had a terrible year. It wasn't just pharma. I mean, look at Bristol Myers and look at a couple of the other names. And even a J&J lagged dramatically. Uh, there are catalysts. Uh, and, and if you for Pfizer, again, there is at least, you know, a phase two oral uh, GLP expectation for something to come out in the first in the first quarter. You have something on gene therapy. Uh, it would be a phase three data point. Um, there are I think you've completely de-risked the covid you know, vaccine story in pharma, uh, excuse me, in PFE. So, so look, it's a name I'm, I'm along from higher up. It, it's the problem with calling this value is is part of the reason why the stock stuck where it is. Um, you look at a Moderna, uh, and they came out there today. And Moderna, which is up 68% in. I don't know, uh, three weeks. Um, and this is a company with a lot of cash in their balance sheet that said they're going to grow sales by 2015. They got an upgrade. It tells you what can happen with these names. I think biotech's going higher, and I think pharma's going higher. Coming up, electric Q4 delivery details, sending a couple of EV makers moving today. We'll dive into the numbers, what it means for the electric auto trade in 2024, right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. EV makers Tesla and Rivian reporting Q4 deliveries today. Tesla beating the analyst expectations. Rivian failing that test, and the stock is paying the price. Phil Lebeau has all the details. Phil. And Melissa, when you take a look at these uh, two reports that came out today, generally in, in line with expectations, a little bit better than expected for Tesla. Let's start first off with Tesla. Tesla production just shy of 500,000 vehicles in the fourth quarter. The deliveries coming in at basically 485,000, better than the street was expecting. The street was expecting 473,000. In terms of deliveries for all of 2023, they did surpass their guidance of 1.8 million vehicles, an increase of 38% compared to 2022. 
And then you have the question of what's expected in 2024. The expectation is 2.1 million vehicles. That's the consensus. Though the Tesla bulls are saying, look, I wouldn't be surprised we, we get 2.2 to 2.4 million. Those are the optimistic reports out there. A possible catalyst is the refreshed Model Y, which is expected in the middle of next year, starting first off in China and then potentially coming over here to the United States. Take a look at shares of Tesla. Remember, the fourth quarter financials come out on January 24th. We'll hear from Elon Musk after the bell. Another EV company, China-based BYD, not just EVs, also makes plug-in hybrid electric vehicles, delivered more than 3 million of those when you put EVs and plug-in hybrids together. By the way, EV sales, Tesla still outsold BYD for the full year, though BYD is catching up. And then there is Rivian. Rivian's fourth quarter deliveries coming in at 13,972, roughly in line with expectations of 14,000, but production better than the company's guidance coming in at 57,232. There you see full year deliveries topping 50,000 vehicles. We will hear from the CEO of Rivian, as well as uh, get some perspective on all of what they're expecting for 2024. That's coming up February 21st. Melissa, back to you. Phil, was there any expectation that we would get any um, numbers on Cybertruck? No, I didn't okay. expect it. I don't know anybody who yeah. expected that. There are some people who have done some modeling that maybe they might have delivered uh, up to 2,000, but that modeling or produced up to 2,000, that modeling is strictly you, you got to look around for that, but nothing from the company. Right. And I wouldn't be surprised, Melissa, if we see limited commentary during the financials on the 24th. All right. Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau. Guy? Look at Tesla long-term chart. We've been in a downtrend since Halloween of 21, boo. We've been in an uptrend since January, this time of last year when it traded 105 or so. We're in this pennant formation. It's going to break one way or another. It's not coincidence that the Rangers get narrower and narrower each day. Just wait for it to break out to the upside or the downside. Then let price be your guide. Why do you say Halloween and boo, but people can't say Happy New Year for another three, you know, like today it is? I think he's making fun of the boo. Like what? what no, I actually like Halloween. No, he likes Halloween. He says boo all the time. He's That's like, the holiday enjoy, season but, for me. But you're like a Grinch when it comes to New Year's. Gravitating yeah. towards the wrong holidays, man. You think? I mean, you yeah, I think you might want to reassess that. Optimistic time of the year. Feeling like it. Whole new year, fresh start. Yeah. Up next, final trades. It is time for the final trade on this first trading day of the new year. Mike Coe. Not a great sector in 23 was energy and the utility space in the area is the midstreams. I'm looking at KMI, Kinder Morgan. Tim Seymour. It is great to be back with you all. And if we haven't wished everyone at home and Guy Adami a happy new year, we'd be remiss. Um, I would be remiss to not point out the breakout we're seeing in the IBB, even the XBI, but I like the IBB. I like the bigger names. I like the concentration. That's a two-year breakout. Dan Nathan. Yeah, TLT. I'd be a seller here. I think rates higher, TLT lower. What's going on over there? Guy. Are you just reading the paper? You know, it's funny. There are publications that come out, and I just found myself reading in the Do we see this? I mean, I don't know if we can zoom in. You see this? Look at Look at that. Wow. Ambition. Live in, in her DNA. My DNA. And we know that. It's also on the Wall Street Journal. Cool. <gasps> ExxonMobil, sister. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money. Happy New Year to you all out there. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.
All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 